Hello, thank you for joining us. My name is Mary Tarsha, and I am here with Dr. Darsha Narvaez, and we are again talking about the evolved nest. This time, we are talking about how it relates to moral development. Thank you for being here. Oh, you're welcome. So your framework for understanding moral development is based off of Paul McLean's theory, correct? Yes, let me say more about that. So Paul McLean uh, developed this notion of the triune brain, triune brain theory. Now the details of it are now um, been proven to be, uh, some of them, inaccurate. But his main point, as Yak Pangsep points out, uh, famous late now yes, uh, neuroscientist, uh, that it's really these mindsets that our brains can go into. And that's what I adopt from Paul McLean. And so I have a theory, triune brain theory, or triune ethics, sorry, mm -hmm. yes. <laughs> triune ethics theory, uh, which sees uh, in our moral capacities. So I guess when you're using the word mindset, uh, for our listeners, maybe you can explain a little bit what you mean by that. So mindset is the orientation you have in a moment or in a situation that affects possible perception, your filtering of information, your what you see as possible actions. Uh, it's um, how you feel in the moment. It's a combination of all those ways of being in the moment. And the mindsets that I point out that our heritage are to be relationally attuned mm. or engaged with others. So that's the engagement ethic, where you are just there, present, and free-flowing and interpersonally uh, kind of responsive and creating, co-creating that moment with others. Hmm. And that's the engagement. That's the engagement ethic, right. And that's part of our heritage. That's what we learn. And with development, our imaginations, our ability to abstract and think about possibilities of things that aren't face-to-face -face in front of us, our imagination develops in a pro-social way, which I call communal imagination. So you have a sense uh, in when you're in the evolved nest kind of society, you have a sense of connection to not only people, but the natural world, and you are, they're part of who you are, part of your family, your um, circle of concern. So when you're saying, just to begin with, so you're saying that it's triune ethics. So here you're talking about, I'm assuming there are three parts. So this is one part, and we're talking about engagement. So you're saying that when the evolved nest is met and those early um, experiences in life are provided for, it leads to a moral mindset or a moral capacity to be engaged with others uh, in the here and now, but then also holds the capacity to have that communal imagination, to be, be thinking beyond those that you are interacting with face-to-face. -face. Is that correct? Yes. So those are two parts, right? The engagement is the face-to-face -face part. The imagination then builds on that, those capacities for empathy and connection and perspective taking uh, to use your abstract capabilities, which reasoning and, and other things that humans can do in ethics is what I now package together as survival systems. Hmm. And under good development, the executive functions, that third set that includes the imagination, communal imagination, the executive functions, uh, and I'll explain that better in a minute, mm -hmm. but that 
controls those survival systems so they don't take over your mind. So what do you mean by survival systems? Um, are you talking about those emotions that sometimes kick in when we are afraid or threatened? Or What exactly do you mean by that? Right. So we're born with these survival systems, things that keep us alive, hmm. basic mammalian emotion systems. So Yak Panksept has mapped these out and described them uh, in effective neuroscience. Feel afraid. So there's fear also, fear, rage, panic, or separation distress, which you can see when babies or young offspring get separated from a, a parent, they will start to panic and scream or yell or cry. And then there's uh, seeking, the exploratory kind of emotion set, which all animals, when they're in a new environment, will run around and try to figure out what's going on, where they are, and that kind of seeking. And it's an anticipatory euphoria uh, that uh, makes you want to keep moving forward ah, interesting. and uh, explore. And then there's sort of a basic form of lust, which I don't really pay much attention to, but you can... So these systems are uh, can be upgraded and enhanced uh, from early toxic stress, from oh, having uh, leaving babies to cry, leaving them alone. They will then enhance these systems because the engagement ethic, which I was talking about earlier... Is, is developed after birth. You're ready to develop the social skills of, of caring for others, having empathy, playing is one way to do that. It's also kind of an afterbirth system, uh, according to effective neuroscience. And those things, though, happen after birth, and they need the nest to grow properly. And if you're just toxically stressed, they don't grow properly, and instead those survival systems are enhanced. And the big Survival systems can take it over because when you get in a stress response, your blood flow shifts, your higher order thinking is impaired, your heart centeredness is impaired, heart centered in the metaphorical way, uh, and you are just about self-protection. So you're stuck in the stress response. And we do that to kids when we don't provide the evolved nest. And so you have people that are using their abstracting capabilities or imaginative capabilities for self-protectionism which can either be controlling other people and being vicious about it or just being dissociated and detached emotionally because things just didn't get set up properly. So when we're talking about moral development here, I mean, you're talking a lot of neurobiological integration of early care experience and how it's forming your neurobiology and how it's forming the brain from uh, the survival systems and how we're born with these survival systems and they are really formed within those early years, either to be enhanced or um, to be more controlled, right? So again, that's anger and fear, panic, seeking and lust. So all of these in the um, early experiences of life are really formed through and then that indicates and kind of propels you onto what moral orientation or mindset you'll have later in life, correct? That's right, because they can take over your mind as Paul McLean um indicated this these sets of systems uh, when you when they take over the mind when you panic and you're stressed you could just in in effect see red we, hmm. we uh, that's a common slang I don't hear it too much these days but see red means that you're just flooded with panic anger fear and you can't do anything else your free will is taken away from you because you've been conditioned to be stress reactive or threat reactive so that's what the personality aspect of, of the early toxic stress does to a person. They take away, takes away your free will, 
makes you governed by uh, stress reactivity. So fight, flight, freeze, faint, depending on what you practiced a lot as a baby. Mm-hmm. And if you had, tr- it's not very communally oriented or hmm. very, you're not relaxed enough to play for playing. You need to feel safe and well. You never feel safe and well. So you're always braced against others. Mm-hmm. So this is what the danger of not providing the evolved nest is, because then it leads to a society of adults who are all kind of bracing against each other and they don't get along very well and they're not going to be very cooperative because, you know, they don't even know, almost know how to do that. And their neurobiology is keeping them from learning to do it. Hmm. So really when we have those responses of fight, flight, freeze, or faint, these really uh, shape our moral orientation. This is what you're saying and really impact our perceptions, our mother color. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Rose color would be better, right? Sure. So I'm talking about how personality can be shaped around those survival systems. But all of us, even if we do have an evolved nest that we got good care, we can move into survival systems. If suddenly a monster comes in the room, it's really adaptive to panic, to go into fight and flight, right? To save yourself. It's really adaptive. It's important. Uh, Robert Sabalski has a book called... why zebras don't get ulcers because they don't they're not in chronic stress they're not in toxic stress like i'm talking about with the degraded evolved nest they they uh, um, use their survival systems to run from the life response to an unusual event is a good thing and with the, the evolved nest provided uh, you uh, your your neurobiological systems allow you to calm yourself down. So you realize it's not a monster. It was just a shadow. And then you can actually calm yourself down and very quickly. But when you don't have the evolved nest, your survival system so going to start reverberating and reverberating. It takes so long, even though it was a shadow, it takes so long to calm yourself down because those control systems weren't developed properly. So it's really about agency, right? So when we're able to... Um have control over our responses and be able to be flexible when there is a threat and kick in rather than fainting or freezing, but to run or to seek safety at the appropriate time versus uh, having an experience of kind of being forced into those modes and not having control over it. So it's the evolved nest. Right. So that's about freedom, liberty, Mm. to be yourself, Mm. to use your your inner built capacities for in a in an adaptive way so that it's for your safety but then you calm down again and you're back to being cooperative and open and playful and caring and all that stuff and communal so that's what a good nest would do it it, uh, doesn't enhance the survival systems but it keeps them in place for the right moments ah so that there is very hindering and can be um, really a source of complication and and suffering, right, for the individual. And then you've also talked about executive functions. So can you talk to us a little bit about this here? Yes, let me just say again, uh, Paul McLean's theory was built on a, a sense of evolution of different brain strata. Now there's, you know, contradictory information about that, but there's still something useful about it. So these survival systems are the more primitive systems. They're the ones that keep us alive. The mammalian systems, that's for care and play and that engagement ethic I talk about, that came a little later uh, in his theory. And that's why it's uh, we're prepared to be social, Uh, to be caring, to uh, play. But if you have a degraded nest, you may not build those skills. 
and your brain your brain will prune things that you don't experience when you're young. So it's really hard to develop them later if you, they didn't develop at the, the sensitive period during the sensitive period. So so there's the survival systems. That's the earlier kind of we share that with most every animal, every animal. Mm-hmm. And then the mammalian systems we share with mammals, social mammals. And then the executive functions and the neocortex are more recent. We share it with a few animals, but uh, with other apes, for example. Uh, but they are things that we have more capacity for. That's about humans. Well, that's part of this these systems. And those things then are the functions are fueled by either the survival system emotions or the mammalian system emotions. Hmm. So that means your imagination can go towards viciousness or detachment if you're really disconnected from your emotions, or it can go to the communal caring and playing orientation. So you mentioned viciousness and detachment. So in triune ethics theory, you've talked about communal imagination and engagement orientation. So in our mind, maybe those are one or two. How do you separate them out? And what are the other two? So they, the nest are the engagement ethic and the communal imagination ethic. That's what we see in the societies that provide the evolved nest. That's what they spend their life doing. They're in, engaged face-to-face with each other, or they, they use their imagination, uh, but it's a communal imagination. It's always connected and relational. So when you say heritage, what do you mean by that? Because maybe what heritage listeners think, well, that wasn't my family <clears throat> of origin. <clears throat> so what heritage are you referring to? So I'm referring, when I say heritage here, I'm talking about our evolved heritage, what our species' typical way of being is. And that requires the evolved nest, which is one of our inheritances, social support, which our species expects. That's what we expect, to be able to be ourselves and to be open and cooperative. So those are the species typical. Then the ones that I mentioned, the viciousness and detached, those are species atypical uh, so what happens when things to being very cautious, loving nest early on mm-hmm. is you can get shifted over to being very cognitively oriented, detached from your emotions because uh, your caregiver doesn't give you what you need, but you're smart enough to realize, well, maybe later. And so you start to detach from your body sense, mm. your intuitions, your emotions. Maybe you're in a family that doesn't reward and recognize emotions. And so you what I call detached imagination. So that's when you use your abstract thinking, you're kind of divorced from face-to-face things, and you use your abstract thinking uh, without emotion, without feeling connected. So you just learn hypothetical reasoning, hypothetical this or that, math problems or mm, hypothetical moral problems, should Heinz steal the drug to save the wife of hmm. his life, when you ask um, more uh Earth-centric societies that represent our heritage, should Heinz steal the drug to save the life of his wife, they say, who's Heinz? Mm. I don't know Heinz. Why, how should I know what Heinz should do? So they, in a way, refuse the Flynn. The Flynn effect is the rise in IQ scores in the USA over the 20th century. And according to Flynn, what's changed is people are more willing to do hypothetical reasoning. The scores on, you know, doing these abstract, fake... Um, kind of uh, the uh, problems 
has increased, and that's where the scores have gone up. But, but that's that... not what the uh, the small band hunter gatherers will do. They don't want to answer those kinds of questions. Mm. But, but isn't yeah. hypothetical reasoning good? Yes, it is in small doses. So this what I call detached imagination is very useful in small doses. But if you spend your life in that mode, oh, which is I what see. we're pushing our kids to do. Then you get detached from your relational. It's like, oh, that's all objects anyway, right? They're mm. all because you have not developed the right hemisphere, which develops in the early life, and that sense of connection to all the things on, on the earth that you are embedded in a web of life. And with the degraded nest, you're missing that development because that's part of what develops after birth is that sense of being connected, the rest, communicating with um, and feeling empathy for the rest of the web of life. So having that detached imagination, in a sense is, if I'm understanding you correctly, is kind of turning off or downplaying your emotions. Um, but at the same time, when you're turning off these emotions or emotions, what happens there? Is it joy and happiness and excitement or just... Uh... But I focus on mostly uh, detaching from all emotions that you haven't actually developed your emotional intelligence very mm. well. Uh, and your emotional intelligence for people or for other than humans as well. So you're just degraded and we professors are known for this <laughs> we're known for using our detached imagination and developing and innovating all these attachment emotions oh i mean that has an effect on somebody you know it's <laughs> like there's a lot of detachment emotionally from consequences and that's the danger of detached imagination so why is it dangerous i mean if we can um detach from not unless you ha maintain your empathy for what you're doing. Mm. I mean, there are times when it's appropriate. Emergency room doctor doesn't want to feel empathy for all the people that are coming in wounded. They have to stop that momentarily and sew them up or whatever it is, right? Or sure. else their emotions can overtake them. But part of this is too is that when you aren't well-trained, your emotions aren't well-trained from a good nest, you easily get personally distressed. From, from situations. And then you go from one to the other. You go from detachment or personal distress, and then you don't hold the empathy and the connectiveness uh, that is normal. Vicious imagines. Oh, very interesting. Okay. So then there's visual or do things to other people. Hmm. So these are moral mandates or feeling like your way is the best way and you're going to impose it on those other people, whether you're a parent on the baby, whether you're a, a politician, you're going to uh, you know, export your way of life to some other country. No sense of any respect for those others. And part of this is because you have learned that the only way to feel safe is to have this particular script or ideology. And you've hmm. got to spread it around to feel safe too, right? Because oh, those other people that are unfamiliar with unfamiliar ways are scary to you. And so you don't want them around. So you, it's very, unfortunately, ties very well in with capitalism's or to making everything the same, uniformity, conformity, right? So squelches the spirit of the individual having that sense of vicious imagination, but then it wants to squelch all creativity and mm. uh, and openness and, and flourishing around. So when, when the nest is degraded, then in your research uh, for many years now, you're seeing that this leads to both viciousness or a detached imagination. That's right. Yes. So we find that people who report having less of those childhood experiences of 
of being affectionately cared for, uh, playing, having a sense of family togetherness and, and positive social support in childhood, they're more likely to display uh, inability to take perspectives and an inability to be open-hearted. Yeah, it's so interesting. Darcia, there's so much to say on this, and I think it's so critical and important, especially for our time and for all parents who are very much interested in providing the best early care experience for their children next time and grow up to be happy, flourishing children. More to say, and we look forward to joining you next time. Thank you again for being with us. Take care.